Entirely indifferent to this oppressive atmosphere, Colonel Colt strode up to the main desk and bade the smart clerk behind it a good morning. The stare that met this salutation told Edward at once that they were not expected. No appointment had been made, and the clerk's stance in such situations was abundantly clear. Unabashed, Colt went on to ask if he might drop in on Tom Hastings, an old friend of his, who he believed was currently the storekeeper of the ordnance. He was informed that Sir Thomas was fully engaged that morning, and besides, he would not see anyone without prior arrangement. "'So he's in the building, at least,' the colonel interrupted with a hard smile. "'Will you be so kind as to tell him that Sam Colt is at his door and wishes to have a word? He'll be interested, I guarantee it.' The clerk would not cooperate, though, not even after Colt had introduced the possibility of a five-shilling note being left right there on his counter to find whatever owner pleased God. So this is it, Edward thought. We're to fall at the first hurdle. It wasn't quite the result he'd expected. The colonel looked down at the carpet for a full minute, still smiling but growing red in the cheek. Suddenly he barked out an impatient curse and lurched away to the right, cutting across the hall to a stairwell and sprinting straight up it. Instinctively, Edward fell in behind him, ignoring the clerk's protestations and the heavy footfalls that were soon gathering at his heels. Together they dashed through the corridors of the Board of Ordnance, skidding around corners and thundering down flights of stairs. Colt threw open doors at random, demanding directions to Hastings' office from the startled scriveners within, a good many of whom, Edward noticed, were occupied with newspapers and novels rather than government business. In the end, as the crowd of their pursuers grew in both numbers and proximity, Colt simply bellowed out the name of his contact as he ran in the vain hope that this might draw him forth. They were finally cornered in a remote lobby. A part of Edward was convinced that the police would now be summoned, and they'd be led from that place in chains. But he also found that he had an unaccountable faith in Colonel Colt's ability to rescue them from difficulty. Sure enough, instead of arrest, their detainment was followed by a brief and intense negotiation, during which the colonel imparted his expectations with considerable forcefulness. A more senior figure was summoned, who in turn sent off messengers to several different regions of the building, and soon afterwards Colt was told that an audience had been granted with Lord Clarence Paget, secretary to the Master General of Ordnance, in a mere twenty minutes' time. They were then taken to a vestibule on the second floor and left to wait. There was a row of chairs against one wall, but as Colonel Colt showed no inclination to sit, Edward felt it best that he remain on his feet as well. The two men removed their hats, and for the first time that day Edward was able to take a proper look at his employer. The colonel must have been about forty, fifteen years older than Edward himself. He stood in the center of the vestibule with his feet placed apart like a Yankee Henry VIII. He also shared the famous king's imposing barrel-chested build, and had the same small, sharp features set in a broad, expansive face. This was combined in Colt with the mottled, scarlet-shot complexion of the serious drinker, a reddish, close-trimmed beard, and a head of dense brown curls which a generous lashing of hair oil had done little to order. His clothes were all the very best and new. The bottle-green coat he wore was square-cut at the bottom in the American fashion, and had a lining of thick black fur, which evoked something of his enormous untamed homeland, of bears and buffalo, of great snow-capped mountains and rolling plains, of gold-panning and red Indians, a place of fortune-seeking and wild adventure, very far indeed from the mud and grit of grey London.
Colt started to shake his head slowly, his mouth forming the beginnings of a scowl. They had done astonishingly well, in Edward's opinion, but the colonel was clearly far from pleased. Adjusting the case beneath his arm, it was rather heavy in truth, he asked if anything was amiss. The gunmaker took what appeared to be a twist of tarred rope from his coat pocket, along with a small clasp knife. Opening the blade, he cut off a piece about the size of a thumbnail and pushed it inside his lower lip. It was chewing tobacco, Edward realized, the great Yankee vice. I know this pageant of old, Mr. Lowry, he muttered, his jaw working away ill-temperedly. This'll come to nothing. Lord Clarence Paget was in the later part of middle age, long-limbed and plainly dressed with a large squarish forehead. He was seated behind a desk, finishing off a letter with a fastidious air. His office had two...